As you're finding your seats, you can open up your Bibles to Judges chapter 7. Judges chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black hardbound one somewhere around you. Uh, This morning's passage also will be on the screen. It is great to see you on this holiday weekend. Everybody feeling lively, right, after late night. All right, it's good to see you. Uh, We're going to finish up our Gideon series where we've been learning um, just that, that God loves to meet his people right where they are in the point of fear and doubt and move them to the place where he's at and comfort them with his presence and his power. Um, in his book called If, Mark Batterson basically quotes a study that says that people on average in the short term regret things that they do or their actions more than their inactions, probably by a small margin like 53% to 47%. But over the long term, people end up regretting more the things that they don't do than the things that they do. So that's moves as the time goes on from 84% to 16%. And he says, that doesn't mean that we have some deep-seated regrets about things that we wish we hadn't said or done, But our longest lasting regrets will be the opportunities that we left on the table. Those are the if-onlys that haunt us to the grave. And as I was just reading that this week, my heart just leapt. Because we've been talking a lot about fear and the voice of fear. And it, it basically asked the question, like, what if God doesn't show up? What if I look like a fool? What if we're just making all of this up, right? That's the voice of fear. But that same question, what if, can be flipped on its head. What if God actually shows up? What if God is actually who he says he is? What if what you're going through right now is the point where he wants to meet you and deliver you no matter what you're walking through? What if is a powerful question to build our faith? And as we come to the conclusion of the Gideon story, we're going to see that God loves to lead his people to a a place where they can only rely on him. So if you find yourself here this morning in overwhelming circumstances, God has something to say to you. Every move of God, every victory that's ever been won on behalf of God's people, every church that has been planted, every miracle that any person experiences begins with the question, what if? What if we believe God? What if we trust God? What would happen? And we're going to see that as we look at the story of Gideon in Judges chapter 7. What we're going to learn is that, that God can only build us into people of faith by launching us into circumstances that actually require faith. And what we're going to begin reading in, in Judges chapter 7 is a, is a section where God whittles down Gideon's army from 32,000 to 300. So if you have your Bibles open and you're able, would you stand with me as we draw attention to God's Word? This is going to be a disclaimer. There's a lot of Hebrew in here today, and I don't know a lick of Hebrew, so um, you can just empathize with me. All right, then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people were with him, rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod, and the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. 
The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And any one of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone whom I say to you, This one shall not go with you, shall not go. And he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men, and the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that this wouldn't just be a a study of an old story, but this would be a story that would intersect with where we are right now. I pray for all of my friends that are assembled here who find themselves in overwhelming situations. I pray that you would be near, that you would be strong, that you would be powerful. I pray that you would raise our expectation from um, just the, the reality of life being always as we plan it out to be to the place where We believe that you're the one that's ordering our footsteps. You're the one that's leading us and guiding us and that you are trustworthy. So to do that, we need you to send your spirit to perform this in our hearts and our souls and our lives. So collectively, we say, Lord, we are listening. Please speak to us and we trust you to move and to act. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So honestly, this is probably the ultimate underdog story that we are looking at here this morning. And we're going to learn some very concrete lessons about what does it mean to trust God? Where does faith come from? What does it look like? And how do we actually apply it to our own life? And the first lesson that we're going to learn as we look at verses 1 through 8 is that faith is transferring trust from our own resources to God's resources. So what we're going to learn from the Gideon story is that sometimes the the greatest hindrance to faith in our lives is our own affluence, right? Who needs God if you can take care of it yourself, right? I mean, and that is the MO of living in the United States of America. Like, we don't have a need for faith, so we don't exercise faith. So God basically says in the midst of this narrative that, hey, there are too many people with you for me to work. Because there is something that goes on inside of our own hearts. We all tend to place our confidence in our own gifts, our own skills, our own talents, our own bank accounts, our own relationships. And those are the things that's going to kind of push us forward. I mean, for most of us, if we're honest, right, and I I put myself at the front of the room here, 
like, we just want God to kind of give us a little bit extra, you know, to, to kind of move us over the finish line. But we don't really like to be in a place where he is all that we can depend on and that he's really all that we can place our faith in. We don't like situations that expose the neediness of our own hearts. But what we're going to learn through the story of Gideon is that your point of need is the greatest gift that God has ever given you because it's at that point that he breaks in and he's the one, just as we sang about this morning, that is mighty to save. So for us, the first lesson of faith is we have to unlearn the lessons of human confidence. I mean, there's an old hymn that basically says, like, all other ground outside of Jesus is sinking sand. And it's a gift sometimes to be in that place where the only thing that you can lean on is Jesus and his blood and his righteousness. And for, for these people, I mean, you have to understand all they've ever known in their life is defeat, right? They've never seen God work a mighty miracle. They've never seen God show up in power I mean, just it's probably like six weeks ago, I've really been trying to learn the spiritual story of our city. So I sat down with a pastor that's been here for 25 years, and I said, "What what is the biggest thing that you've ever seen God do in this city? And he just kind of hung his head and said, listen, I've heard small stories of where maybe God has broken in and worked in this church or this church, but he said, there's been nothing of this widespread move of God that's ever taken place in this city, right? So we can identify with what's going on in this story, right? All we've ever known is average, right? All we've ever known is going through the motions. All we've ever known, right, is, is a kind of spirituality that's um, not quite enough to satisfy us, but enough maybe to keep us going. But what God wants to prove to us, I think, as we look at the story of Gideon, is that he is a God that can break in and do more than you can ask or imagine or even think. Now, oftentimes it's not going to look exactly like the way that you planned it. Most of the time it won't. But God is a God that loves to break in and he loves to save. I love what he says in verse 2. He says, The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many. I mean, can you actually imagine this? Because they are outnumbered this point, 135,000 to 32,000. So in my neighborhood, right, I mean, that's about four to one. So if if there was a kid like on the playground that could beat up four kids at a time, I mean, he was doing pretty well, right? So, I mean, I would think at that point, like, uh, you know, for these people, that would have been a great victory. But He said, that's too many for me to work. Can you imagine, I mean, in the United States of America saying, listen, the reason that God can't move in your life is because you have too much money, right? The reason that I can't move in your life and I can't build a life of faith is because you have too much success, right? I mean, that's essentially what God is saying here. And um, in, in a culture where we find more is security and more is salvation, Sometimes more is the greatest barrier that we have to faith. And it's a gift for our needs to be exposed. But it's hard for us to admit that we are weak. Listen, I love, it's, it's probably in the lobby somewhere, pasted on the wall. I love to preach that grace changes everything. It is what our church is built on. But you know what I don't like? 
to actually need that grace, right? I've stepped into more situations in the last couple of weeks that has exposed, listen, I actually don't have it all together. Like, I actually need grace to meet me. But it's at that point where God can break in in the midst of our neediness and meet us with his own power. The picture that the scriptures paint whether we like to admit it or not, is not that we just need a little help to get us over the edge, but it's we're helpless. Like it says in the Gospel of John that apart from Him, we can do nothing. And that's true. So it's a gift for us to be able to have our needs exposed. So God basically says you have too many, so He sends um, the fearful home. 32,000 gets whittled down really quickly to 10,000. So surely this is the point where God can work. I mean, the, the odds have gone from 4 to 1 to 13 and a half to 1. So maybe this is the point where God's going to kind of show up and he's going to break in. But no, um, he just says, listen, that's still too many people. So he gets them together. Like, And I don't know what this has to do with. I don't know if God's a cat person or whatever, but... Basically, I mean, it's the, there's the, the people that kneel down and those that drink like a dog. And he takes the 300 aside and says, these are the people that I'm going to save Israel with. I mean, this is probably the only thing that God has in common with Han Solo. He's not concerned with the odds, okay? I mean, that's, that's what's going on in this passage. 300 to 135,000. 135,000 is roughly twice the size of the city of Jonesboro, right? 300 would be probably three times the amount of people that are in this room, right? I mean, that is overwhelming odds. John Zoll famously said that God's office is at the end of our rope. So our neediness is a gift. There is a short play by Thornton Wilder that's called the angel that troubled the waters. And it's basically, it's one of my favorite short plays. And it's basically based on, in the Gospel of John, there's a pool of Bethesda where an angel would come down, supposedly, and touch the waters. And the first person that would make it to the waters would be healed. And so this is a story of a man who doesn't have a physical malady, but he's troubled in his soul. And... This pool is basically a pool of misery. I mean, you can hear the blind and the lame, and they are groaning, and they are looking for help. And this guy, I mean, he sees the angel come down and touch the water, and he's about to run and make it to the water, and the angel stops him right there. And he says, this water is not for you. And he has this conversation, and he's saying, listen, I could do so much for God if he would just meet me right here. If he would just give me the thing that I need. If he would just make me whole. And this line is so beautiful. He says, the angel says to him, Without your wound, where would your power be? It is your very remorse that makes your low voice tremble into the hearts of men. The very angels themselves cannot persuade the wretched and the blundering children on earth as one human broken on the wheels of living in love service only wounded soldiers can serve. So this isn't saying anything about God's ability to heal, but what he is saying is your need is your gift, right? Your point where you need God to show up is actually God's greatest gift in your life because that is where he is going to meet you. Our need is our gift. God 
throughout the scriptures, he never turns away needy people, right? Needy people flock to him and they receive wholeness and healing. The only people that go away empty or hungry are the people that think that they can do them that they can do it themselves, the people that can save themselves. And so our deepest prayer for us as a church is this would be a safe place for people to say, listen, we actually still need a Savior. That's what maturity is, not needing Jesus less and less, but it's actually needing Jesus more and more. So our need is our gift, and it positions us to receive God's power. Psalm 20, verse 7. This has been in, just in my head and my heart all week. Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name or the character of our God. So we want to be a group of people that place our trust not in our own resources. God is not limited by our limitations, right? His ability to act and save is not based on the greatness of our need, but on the greatness of his power and his mercy, Now, we probably have a a little bit of a sense of how this thing is going to play out, you know, because we have the Bible. But for Gideon, this is real time, and (laughs) um, it's playing out in real time and space, and um, he's not really sure how this is going to turn out. So it's going to bring me to my next point. We can expect God's patient assurance to strengthen us for the task that he has called us to. Look at verses 9 through 15. That same night, the Lord said to him, Arise and go down to the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Purah, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp, and the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number, as the sand that is on the seashore is in abundance. So that's a big crowd. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade, and he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, this is a crazy dream, by the way, so just kind of dial in here. Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian, and it came to a tent, and it struck it so that it fell, and it turned upside down so that the tent the tent laid flat. So basically, this guy had a dream of this big piece of bread that crushed his tent. And his comrade answered, this is none other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash. Like, I would have just thought, honestly, at that moment that I just had some bad dinner, but this guy is convinced that um, Gideon's going to destroy them. That the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, God has given him into his, his hand Midian in all the camp. And as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, He worshiped, and he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. So God loves to bring assurance to his people right where they're at. So think about whatever you're facing, whatever he's called you to, he actually wants to strengthen your hand to do what he's called you to do, right? We underestimate the patience and the mercy and the kindness of God in the things that he's actually called us to do. Three times in two chapters, Gideon is 
really honestly deathly afraid to do the things that God has actually called them to do. He said, I'm going to need you to give me some kind of sign to say that it's going to be okay. So at the end of chapter 6, there's this famous fleece passage where he's like, hey, if, if you're going to deliver us, I, I need you to make this fleece, I need you to make it wet, and I need all the ground around it to be dry. And so God says, okay, and he does that. And he says, well, maybe that was just a coincidence. So Maybe if you could just make the fleece dry this time and the ground all around it wet, like that will give me assurance. So he had to do that in this passage that we just looked at. Like he's like, hey, if you're afraid, take Pura, who probably was a bigger guy. Why don't you take him with you into the camp and you're going to hear a dream and that's going to strengthen you for the things that God has called you to do. Now, how kind of God that he interrupts Gideon's fear and says, I want to introduce something that's going to strengthen your hand, that God actually wants to meet you. Do you view God like that, right? I mean, most of the time, like, I think he's probably like an impatient parent, like they said, I told you to clean up your room, right? I mean, that's, that's my view of God most of the time. But he's like, listen, hey, I want to I meet you, and I want to strengthen you right for the things that I've called you to do. I'm going to meet you right where you are at your point of need. So, this is This is the difference between the voice of fear and the voice of faith, right? The difference between the what-if question that we began the sermon with is the presence of God. The presence of the God that loves to dwell with his people. The presence of God that loves to assure his people no matter what they're walking through. Now, I want to make a huge distinction here because... You can get off into some wonky stuff here pretty quickly. I remember like reading stuff like this as a kid and thinking, God, if you're going to do great things through my life, help me find a four-leaf clover. You know, I mean, that's not what this is kind of prescribing, right? I mean, but the principle that's at play is that God is a God of assurance and he wants to meet you. But for us, see, we know something that Gideon could never even come close to imagining. It's not that God doesn't want to bring us assurance, but he's probably not going to bring it. Sometimes he's going to bring it in the midst of our circumstances, but he wants to bring us assurance by fixing our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith. He wants to fix our eyes on the cross of Jesus Christ. See, we can see in full what Gideon could only see in part. The place that we find assurance for the dark circumstances that we find ourselves walking through is the fact that there is a God who suffered for us, that there is a God that suffers with us, and that He has endured on the cross all of the wrath of God, and He has promised to destroy every enemy, past, present, and future for the people of God. That's where faith comes from. From. That's where assurance comes from. It doesn't, have, it doesn't happen because we're somehow able to magically read the tea leaves, spiritually speaking. It happens because he has spoken definitively in the cross of Jesus Christ that he can be trusted. Right? That's, that's the good news. Assurance comes from the cross of Jesus Christ. He loves to assure us. Right? Romans 8, 31 and 32, my favorite two verses in the Bible. What then shall we say to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The cross is the measure of how much he can be trusted. You can trust God in the darkest circumstances that you will walk through in life because he has not withheld his own son, but he's given him up for us. So if you're here this morning 
and life is crushing you. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He is the one that wants to give you a way of escape and give you a picture of hope. The cross is the measure of his commitment to us. He wants to bring us patient assurance. But assurance is not just some vague notion. He actually wants to act on our behalf. Which brings me to my final point. The battle belongs to the Lord. I'm going to continue reading verse 15. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside. So not a great battle plan. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet and I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp and beginning in the middle watch when they had just set the watch and they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands and the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow and they cried out a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And listen to how God works. Every man stood in his place around the camp, and the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And then they went to a lot of places that I cannot pronounce. And the people of God pursued them all the way to Midian. So, these folks are absolutely outnumbered, outmatched. There is nothing (laughs) that they have that they can hang their hats on. They don't even have a sword among them. Like, they have a torch that's kind of covered in this clay pot and a trumpet. And they're basically around this valley, and there's these 135,000 troops with camels that were without number. They're in the valley. And then at the right moment, they break these clay pots and their lights begin to shine and they blow the trumpets and absolute chaos breaks out. They don't even have to lift a finger, right? All they do is blow their trumpets and God causes fear and confusion to set in among their enemies and they end up destroying themselves, right? And this is to clearly illustrate to us that God can save by many or by few, right? He doesn't need a lot to work with. And that's a good thing, right? I mean, he is not limited by our limitations. He's not limited by your past, right? He's not limited by your lack of growth. He's not limited by um, any of our lack of resources. He's not limited by the size of this church. He's not limited by the size of my personal pastoral gifts. He is not limited in the least. God loves to save by many or by few. And that's good news for us. Like that's how we can rest in the midst of when there's all kinds of chaos breaking out all around us because the battle actually belongs to the Lord. I was at a conference probably uh, a little bit over a year ago, and um, this guy, he just, we were praying before the meeting, and he had this thought, and it was kind of just this picture, and he, he said the words, the king is on the battlefield, like when we were praying, and 
basically described this picture, and it really spoke to my heart because, I mean, I'm going to be honest, sometimes, like, being in pastoral ministry can be difficult. Sometimes it can be wearying. And a lot of times I think about my own life and the own battles, and I think that I'm out there, you know, just swinging the sword and picking up the shield and pushing back darkness and doing all this great stuff for Jesus. And basically, this picture just opened my eyes to the fact that, man, the king of kings is on the battlefield. He's the one that's actually fighting, right? And that gives me a different kind of energy where I can say, listen, he's the one that's fighting. He's the one that's gone before me. He's the one that we can, you know, that's where those scriptures where he's a refuge and a stronghold, all of those things become a reality. It's a different thing for him to kind of give us energy to do the things, and it's quite another for him to be the one that works the victory. So the king is on the battlefield. And The battle reveals a God that we can radically trust and radically believe in. God is the defender and the refuge of his people. So no matter where you are this morning, what you're facing, you can hide in him. He's safe. He is actually fighting your battles on your behalf. And so I want to close with just a, a few applications that I think would honor the Lord as we close out this Gideon series. The first implication is anticipate the victory, right? Most of us, if we're honest, we read passages in the Bible like this, and we want to believe that God could actually do these kinds of things. But we're so conditioned by our own circumstances to kind of hedge our bets and say, he could do that, but he probably won't right? Listen, God is not even limited by our unbelief. Like we, as the people of God, we have an opportunity to say, listen, you can save by many or by few. You can save (laughs) whether we trust you fully or completely. You can save us. And I think it's right when we have a God that has conquered sin, death, and the grave to believe that he's actually going to work a victory on our behalf. I think he actually wants us to believe that he's going to actually do the things that he says he's going to do. Even though we have been, we're in a culture where Christianity is on the decline, where, where the expectation of the people of God has been diminished. I think he wants us to begin to be a people that believe that he's actually going to show up and he's actually going to show off his power and his glory. That's for us collectively as a church and that's for you individually no matter what you are facing. It's right for us because we have a God of resurrection to believe that he's going to move and that he's going to save and that he's going to deliver and that he's going to heal. That's who he is. None of us are going to get to the end of the story and be like, you know what, I, I think I, I believe him too much. I trusted him too much. Like, I think he's inviting us to go deeper in the story and just to believe that he's going to show up and do the things that he's actually said that he's going to do. The, the second thing that I think we it would honor the Lord to apply this is, I mean, tell your story. This is an oral culture. Like, they pass down the story of Gideon from generation to generation. And I met with a group of leaders who were praying about gospel communities and what they could look like. It is our desire, not because we want you to have a meeting, but because we want you to meet with God. 
for everyone to sign up for a gospel community because we believe that he actually works when we get together. But the, the leader said as a whole, the, the highlight of the last semester was people just telling the stories of the way that God has been at work um, in people's lives. And it strengthens us to hear, like, God met you there, so if God met you there, he can meet me here. And we're strengthened as we hear the stories of the way that God has been faithful, right? I mean, hopefully, in some way, you've been helped as you've been a part of this church, seeing God move and seeing God meet people. So we want to tell the story of God over and over again, because in that way, we're strengthened and he receives glory. And then finally, lean on him completely for strength. Like he can be trusted, right? He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God has not changed. We have more definitive proof in the cross. And then he's poured out his spirit on his people that God is a God that moves and a God is a God that acts and God is a God that saves. So we can lean on him completely for strength. He can be fully trusted because he has defeated our greatest enemies, right? If we can trust him, like the logic should be overwhelming. If we can trust him to save us from sin, death, hell, and the grave, we can trust him for whatever we're walking through right now. Like he's big enough to actually mean it. So we're going to lean on him completely for strength, and that is a beautiful, safe place to be. Victory is ours because we as Romans 8 says, are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Let's pray. I thank you that you're mighty to save. I thank you that you can save by many or by few. I thank you that you're patient with us. I pray that just in these moments that you would work victory in battles that we have grown weary in. I pray for those that don't know how to go forward, I pray that you would be strong and that you would show up with power and with might. I pray that you would help us be relationally connected um, as a church where we can bear one another's burdens and we can actually be the people that you've called us to be. I pray that you give us the freedom and the joy of being weak and needy, but also coming to you and finding real hope and real strength. Help us to celebrate Jesus well as we come to the table. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.